Well, we're continuing in our series about the church. Uh, we, we titled it a, a few weeks back, Your Life, Church Life. And as we were doing this, we were looking at it particularly from Ephesians and chapter 2. And as we were going through that, we were, we were putting in place a foundation, a foundation to be able to look at uh, church life. We, we saw very quickly and very early on that a church is not the building. The church is the body of God's people. It's us. It is the people that have been called out, the people that have been saved. We saw that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. The most important part of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the founder. He is the head. He is the chief cornerstone, as it's put there. And he needs to be there. And if he's ever pushed out of that position, the church is no longer a church. And then from Christ being the center, our Savior, our Redeemer, our author and finisher of our faith, we saw that there was the foundation. And the foundation is the teaching of the prophets and the apostles. Effectively, the foundation that the church is built on is God's word. And we have the privilege of being the bricks in that temple that's been put together. We are part of it. We are not the building. We are part of it. We are being put together. As 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 and verse 5 puts it, we are the living stones. We're being built up as a spiritual house. And as a spiritual house, there's an occupant who lives in this temple that's been brought together, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the occupant of the church. The Holy Spirit is the occupant of every believer. And we realize that's got huge implications. God is dwelling with us through the Holy Spirit. And through the Lord Jesus Christ, what was lost in the Garden of Eden when sin came in has been restored to a degree. And we're looking forward to heaven and glory when we shan't just be occupied by the Holy Spirit. We, we shall see Jesus Christ face to face. We will be like him for we shall see him. And then with this thought of us being the bricks that are brought together and we have, as a church we have this huge responsibility of being the temple of the Holy Spirit and we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit and we, we realize that there's so much temptation out there that can pull us away and the foundations can be moved away and there's just so many dangers. We, we were thinking how can we keep at this? And we realized that we were underwritten by the master builder. God is the master builder. The church is God's. Before time began, God planned the church. He planned for you and I to be in it. He's got the control of it. And so this means that we've been called and commissioned. We've been rescued and ransomed. And the master builder has a master plan for us. And so although the task may seem impossible, and it is for ourselves, it is possible with God. Because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so it's this foundation that I want us to, to, to build on now. It's this thought of how do we do church? Practically, how do we operate as, as a church? Practically, why do we do some of the things that we do do and don't do some of the things that we don't do? And maybe we have to ask ourselves as we go through this that there are things that we don't do that we should be doing. And maybe there are things that we're not doing uh, that we shouldn't be doing. And, and vice versa. And so as we go through, we want to be led by God's word. 
This is a foundation that we have to be built on, God's word. And so as we are going through this, and as I'm coming up with what God's word is saying, you, like the Bereans, need to have God's word open in front of you. You need to check this out. You need to make sure that what we are talking about and what we are doing as a church is here in God's word. It's not my idea. It's not Pastor Andrew's idea. It's not Pastor Phil's idea. It's not a denomination's idea. But it is from God's word. And God is leading us uh, in this way. And so I had on my mind some ideas of where I thought that these sermons should be going. There's certain parts of church life that I want us to to develop and be strengthened in. And, And so I was thinking of how to do this. And the more I was looking into this and the more I was seeing what I felt or my heart needed to be said, the more I kept coming back to 1 Timothy. Just verse after verse kept coming up. This, is, this, this applies to that. This apl- and I'm thinking, this book of 1 Timothy essentially is a guide how to do church. It's a guide of how to do church. And so what I'm wanting to do with, with the Lord's help is to go through the book of Timothy. Yeah? But don't worry, we're not going to go through it like we've been going through John, slowly. We're going to be taking it quite big pictures, so we should get through it quite quickly. I'm thinking we'll be doing sort of a chapter uh, a Sunday. And if you sort of flick through there quickly, you've seen there's six chapters. And No, five, sorry. I'm in the wrong place here. You've seen, yeah, you've seen there's six chapters there. And you'll also be thinking, well, okay, there's six. So we can do it in six. We're going to do it in seven. Because the, the first one, God willing, today is going to be an introduction so we can see how it all uh, fits together. Now, I am sure that as we go through this quickly like that, there's going to be more questions coming to us. And then the idea is that some of those questions, some of those things that are really important to us, we'll come back to and drill down in more detail, either as we continue this series or on other special occasions. So today it's really just an introduction to 1 Timothy and God willing an overview of where the book is going so that we can continue on here. So the first question I want to ask, the first point, is the obvious. Who wrote the letter? Who wrote the letter? You may think, well, that's not even worthy of being a point because it says it there uh, at the beginning. The big giveaway there is at the very beginning, is it, of of the verse. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. So this letter was written by the apostle Paul. And and the Apostle Paul states that that is who he is. It's not just Paul, but he says, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And he also then develops this, that he says he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God, our Savior. You see, Paul didn't make himself an apostle. Paul didn't get up one morning and thought to himself, oh, I'm going to have a career change. I'm going to go from a persecutor of the church, and I'm now going to be an apostle. And then as he went down the street, he said to the people, don't call me Saul anymore, I am now Paul, and I'm an apostle. And he got some business cards printed, or written out on clay, I don't know how he did it, a quill, and went around handing out the cards, and very soon everyone started, oh, it's, it's Apostle Paul. No, it didn't happen like that. It was by command of God. It wasn't even the church that appointed Paul as an apostle. God made him an apostle. 
And, and the reality is this is just consistent with the whole of Scripture and what we were looking at previously from uh, Ephesians. We, we, we saw there that uh, the apostle was someone who had a unique calling. And they had their calling directly from Christ Jesus. And they were eyewitnesses to the risen Christ in his human form. Now, this happened to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. His situation was different to the other apostles, but nonetheless, that's where it happened. And if you have time later, you might just want to go to Acts chapter 9, and you can read that account. You can read what happened. God, through Christ, came down and met with Paul on that road. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 9 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul explains something of, of what happens. And he says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not all my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. We can see here that the Apostle Paul really is giving the glory to God, and he's saying that God made him an apostle. It wasn't something that he sought for himself. It wasn't something that others actually gave to him. And it was the seal of an appointment in the Lord. And then later on in, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians in chapter 15 and verse 8, and we we've, we've saw this a couple of weeks back, Paul is describing how the apostles had all seen Jesus, and then of himself he says, last of all, as unto one untimely born, he appeared to me. And so this commission as apostle was given to Paul by Christ. And in, a, in, a, in an amazing, miraculous way, Paul saw the risen Christ in his uh, humanity. Now these apostles hold in a position that makes them authoritative teachers and pastors to the whole Christian church in history. And, and that's where the foundation comes in. It's a foundation that they were built on. They had this special calling. And their teaching, God's teaching for us through the apostles, is recorded for us uh, in his word. And then that is the foundation that we're thinking of in Ephesians. And Paul saw his role and effectively his, his title uh, there of apostle means that of an ambassador. He was an ambassador, a herald of uh, Jesus Christ. Now this role didn't give him the authority to do what he thought he wanted. He was under the command of God our Savior, of Christ Jesus. Of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus. And, and so this is, this is really important for us to note that as Paul here is instructing Timothy. As Paul is bringing this word to us, it's not his own ideas. It's not his own thoughts. God spoke to him through the Holy Spirit because he was under the command of God. All these apostles, all these writers here, it's not their own ideas. And sometimes we talk about Pauline thinking and sometimes we talk about Joline thinking. Uh, but that's just so we can categorize who the person that was writing it was. But the reality is this is God's word and God is speaking to us. And we have to take this really seriously. And there's a stark contrast here between some of the so-called apostles of this day. And it sadly seems that they use the title of apostle for their own authority, to give themselves authority. Whereas 
Paul's situation was he was given the responsibility. And the responsibility was to be under the command of God. This, this, this title of apostle isn't really a, a title of an authority. He had an authoritative work to do, and that was to be under the command of God and to be an ambassador for Christ Jesus. Paul was clearly under the authority of God. And so that's why as we go through this letter of Timothy, yes, it is Paul speaking to Timothy, but it is God speaking to Timothy. And as we'll see later, it's God speaking to us. And so that's why we have to be extremely wary of those that call themselves apostles these days. We have to be extremely, extremely wary. And we have to go back, and whenever we hear anybody preaching, regardless of the title they call themselves, we always have to go back and say, is this teaching under the command? And does this teaching come with the authority of God's word? And if the teaching doesn't come under the command of God and the authority of his word, we reject it. We don't want anything to do with it. You need to be like the Bereans. And, and, I, and I'm not wanting you to apply that rule to other people when they come to the pulpit and not myself. That rule has to be applied every time you hear somebody preach. Every time. And, and if you feel that something I say or someone else says from this pulpit is not consistent to God's word, you need to speak to them or speak to me about it. We need to work through it. We don't want just to be sponges that take everything on. We want to see it through the, the, the glasses, as it were, the prism, the, the, the light of uh, the Scriptures. Now, when we read that, it starts there, Paul, an apostle, and, and it seems very obvious who wrote the book. But a little while ago, some very, very clever people were looking at it, and, and they decided to, to, to question whether it was truly written by the Apostle Paul. Now, now I'm not going to go into the arguments, and if you want to, to, to study this further, I can point you to books in the, the library here that will help you uh, look into that. But I do want to say something about this whole thing. And, and I want to say it like this. What does this passage start with? The passage clearly starts with Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God. Why do we need to try and cleverly work out that this might not be Paul? When clearly God's word says it is Paul. And, and if you go back to every Greek manuscript that exists, you know how it starts? With Paul. It's, it's always with Paul. And, and so for me, and for where I stand, and how I look at the arguments that, that have come out. Let's not get worried about those sorts of things. When God's word says what God's word is, let us go with that through the Holy Spirit. But if any do want to find out more, then I can point you, as I say, to the books. You see, there's this problem that we have. And there's a temptation to be so smart in our own eyes that we destruct the obvious and the obvious to me here, and I trust to you, is Paul. It's written by Paul. But who is the book for? Who is this letter for? Who is Paul writing to? And again, in verse 2, it's obvious, isn't it? He goes from introducing himself, and then he says, Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus 
our Lord. This, this letter clearly was written to Timothy. Paul saw himself as, as, a, as a fatherly figure, a mentor, if you like, to Timothy. And if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 uh, and verse 17, we, we see that Paul is, is commissioning him and, and, and he, he's, he's explaining what he's doing. And he he'd sent Timothy to the Corinthians. Verse 17 says, that is why I sent you Timothy. And this is what he says about Timothy. My beloved and my faithful child in the Lord. And why do you send him to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church? And so you can almost sort of think of Timothy as being like Paul's intern. That's how he started off. He may have started off as an intern, watching, listening what Paul was doing, and then running errands for Paul, and then he became a co-worker uh, with Paul. But all along, we see this relationship of a, of a fatherly figure, a mentor, wanting to look after the, the younger Timothy. In Philippians 2.22, we, we read this, and, it, and it's Paul again speaking, and he says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. And then how is a son with a father has served me in the gospel. There's a very close relationship there between Timothy and Paul. And so Paul is writing to Timothy as a father figure. Paul is writing to Timothy as a mentor. Paul is writing to Timothy to take care of him. And just as an aside here, if you've got aspirations of of, of wanting to develop yourselves in, in, in your Christian faith, Every Timothy needs a Paul. And I, and I believe that every Paul needs a Timothy. That there's no success without successors. And so this is a really healthy thing within church life for the, for the older ones to be looking out and having an interest in the younger ones. And, and the younger ones having an interest in getting involved with the older ones. There needs to be that cross-pollination. Now we've got a slight challenge here. Because I can only see a few gray hairs, headed hairs here. And we haven't got so many older ones. But you've got people who've been here in Cyprus a lot longer. And people who've been in the faith longer. And that's what we should be doing. Those that have been in the faith longer should be looking out and helping those that have been in the faith not so long. And then this is what it should be like. And we should be caring for each other. And we see this real care that Paul had for Timothy. Now, what do we know about Timothy? I think it would be very helpful for us to learn a bit more about Timothy so that we can get a feel for how this letter is being put together. Acts 16 tells us where he came from. Uh, Well, we get a clue of where he came from. Paul came to Derby and Lystra, and there there was a disciple, and his name was Timothy. And so that's where he, he, he met him. We can read later on that it was probably more from Lystra and Iconium, where he was exactly from, but we, we, we see him in that region. We know from that same passage that he was as a result of a mixed marriage. He was a son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And it's very interesting here, because she's a Jewish woman that was a believer. She wasn't just a Jewish woman. Uh, and his father was a Greek, and there's no believer title added to that. So we can assume, we don't know, but we can assume that his mother was a Christian lady trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior. Her parents were from Jewish background. She was brought up in the Jewish faith, but she was trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as her savior. 
she had, she was a believer. His father was a Greek. And the assumption here from the passage is that he wasn't a believer. He wasn't trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we see here that Paul was someone who was walking well with the Lord. Verse 2 of Acts 16 says, He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. They saw something special about Timothy. He, He walked well. He was well spoken of. He had a good reputation. And because of this walk that he had with the Lord, and because of his reputation, something about him must have impressed Paul. And I'm sure Paul was on the lookout for people. And Paul was probably asking God and praying for God to help him and guide him. And then verse 3 just simply tells us, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. So, So Paul recruits Timothy. Yeah, Timothy doesn't say, yes, yes, please, I want to be this, I want to be that. Timothy is quietly getting on with being faithful to God. And as he's quietly getting on being faithful to God in the context of the church, he is brought in and given opportunity. And that's the healthy way that things should happen. It doesn't always happen as well as it should do, but that's, that's what should be happening. That's what churches should be doing, looking out for those that have got good reputation and, and developing them. And as particularly in Timothy's situation in the ministry. But other people have got other gifts and other things. And as you, as you serve God and, and you quietly get on as a church, we should be looking out for that, recognizing that, getting people involved in different areas of church life. We know that his mother was called Eunice, his grandmother was called Lois, and both his mother and his grandmother had a sincere faith. To Timothy, the next letter in chapter 1, verse 5, tells us this. And Paul says to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. This verse tells us that Timothy had a sincere faith. A sincere faith. But what I'm finding fascinating here is Timothy was born into a mixed-race family. His mother was a Jew. His father was a Greek. And, and, and why do, I, why do I, I, I say that? Well, Paul, as he opens this letter, in, in, in 1 Timothy and 2, he says, My true child in the faith. My true child in the faith. Now, there's some deep significance here because Paul is an authentic apostle of Christ. Timothy is an authentic son of Paul. He's a true child of the faith. Now, Timothy was born into mixed parents, and as the Jews looked on, they would have seen him as illegitimate. If you've read the Harry Potter books, he was a mudblood. He was a muggle. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't true, Yes. And as you're all looking blankly at me, that illustration is of no value whatsoever. If you have, I'm trying to work out the best way, but he was a mixed family. And because of that, he was socially stigmatized. I think sadly in the UK, certainly when I was growing up as a child in the 70s, England wasn't as diverse and it wasn't as inclusive as it is now. And, and if you had uh, an Afro-Caribbean husband and uh, an English rose as a wife, the child would be, well, what would it be? Is it Afro-Caribbean? Is it English? 
And, then, and, and the ascetic color of the child would be halfway between the two. And, and people would look on, and, 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 and sadly and wrongly in those days, the, the child got grief for that. Nowadays it's celebrated, and, and rightly so. But Timothy would have had a problem. Timothy wouldn't have been able to go into the synagogue. Timothy wouldn't have been able to hang out with the Jewish people and eat with them because he wasn't one of them. And yet when he wanted to hang out with the Greeks, they didn't want him because he wasn't one of them. And so he, was, he, had, this, he had this great problem. He's illegitimate. And here is Paul. And Paul is saying, you are a genuine member of the family. And this is going to be thrilling for us, yeah? Because it's not about our background that's important. I mean, it practically means this, that you do not have to be defined by what has gone on behind you. Your parentage, your nationality, how you were brought up, that's not you. You see, when we become one with Christ, we're brought into his family, we're adopted. And so we look around this room now and we see a diversity of nationality, we see a diversity of culture, we see a diversity of people, but yet we see a unity because we are one in Christ and we are true children of the faith. And this should be thrilling to us. And so maybe you're in a situation and the world defines you by your past. The world defines you by your heritage. The world defines you, and maybe in your own local situation, maybe your father was known as a drunk. And you're just known there as the child of the drunk. Or maybe your, 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 your mother slept around and you're defined as that in society. Or maybe people think that you come from a lower class or a higher class or whatever it is. And the reality is none of that matters. That is not who you are. It's who you are in Christ that matters. And this here must have been thrilling for Timothy to be reminded it doesn't matter about what's gone behind. But then at the same time, our heritage can be a real blessing. A real blessing because there is Eunice and Lois. And they were godly. And I'm sure that Timothy owes a lot of his faith to God's grace and mercy with his godly grandmother and mother. And so parents can be a blessing. And for many of you, you're not, going, you're not parents yet, and God willing, one day you will be. You can be a blessing to your children. But if your parents haven't been a blessing to you, that doesn't matter, because they don't define you. It's who you are in Christ, or what you are in Christ that defines you. God's grace is bigger than social stigma. And we also see that Timothy's young. In, in chapter 4 and verse 12, it says, let no one despise you for your youth. And, and so many times I've, young people have got so excited by this. This is, this is the verse for the youth. This is the verse for empowering the youth. And before you get too, too excited by this, we just need to quantify what's going on about youth here, yeah? Now, now youth should be empowered, and youth should have a voice, but it needs to be in the context of the whole of being a family. But John Stott, uh, an eminent theologian, along with others, really argue well, uh, and the general consensus is Timothy is probably in his mid-30s. So immediately, for a whole load of you thinking, that's old, that's not youth. For all of you, youth is sort of 19s, 20s, early 20s, maybe late 20s. He's probably 33, 34 in his age. But for 
the culture of the day then, that was deemed as being youthful, as young. And so these verses are not giving every youth that thinks that he should be somebody in the church a mandate to make this happen. And, and as soon as you don't get the role that you want or the, the, the position that you want or the opportunity you want, you just turn around and say, let no one despise my youth. I need this. I have the right to this. Let's, let's just remember what it is. We also need to remember that although he is young, he's had lots of opportunity. He is growing. And he has been developed. And a challenge of the church is to develop youth. And a challenge of a church is to encourage you and, and, and youth up. And then we also have to remember that within this there is spirituality as well. It's looking at youth from a physical sense in here. But we can also think of youth being spiritual. And we can get some people who are a lot older, but they're very young spiritually. And they need building up. And we get some young people that have been uh, uh, Christians for a long time and, and they've the grown well. And we get some old people that have been Christians for a long time and still they're spiritually young because they haven't grown. You get other people that, are, that have only been Christians for a short time and they've grown suddenly. But what, we, what we're seeing here in this situation is physically, he's a young man in all intents and purposes, 30, 32, 33-ish. With youth comes challenges, because in 2 Timothy 2.22, it says, so flee youthful passions. So Timothy was like you guys. He's like all of us. Or like all of us might like to think we are. Youthful passions, there, temptations. They, They happen all the time in our lives. He had these temptations, but there are some challenges that particularly come with young people. There are some areas that are particularly difficult. And, and he was young, and he had these challenges. We, we see that Timothy was probably timid. He was given uh, advice in 2 Timothy 1.7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love. And then in Corinthians 1.16, uh, 10, he, 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 Paul is sending Timothy. He says, when he comes to you, seize, put at ease among you. He might be a little bit nervous. A little bit afraid of going to this big church. And what would the people say? And and, and Paul says, look, he's doing the work of the Lord. Let no one despise him. Paul's got Timothy's back. He's looking out for him. He he wants him to be helped on his way. And it seems as though Paul is protective of Timothy because it it, it seems to me that he was was slightly timid. He He wasn't like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul almost seems like he was always looking for a fight. A good fight, a righteous fight, obviously. But he was always up there. He was always he's there. But, but Timothy was always sort of, it seems much more quiet, much more timid. Lots of great things to say. And again, this just underlines that in God's kingdom, we're all different characters, and the different characters are needed. And God needs those assertive ones to do his work in that way. And he needs the more timid ones. He needs the more quiet ones. He needs academics. He needs practical people. He needs tall people. He needs short people. He needs all people. And we're all part of this family together. But we also see that not only is he seemingly timid, but he also had health issues. It's interesting, isn't it? Timothy's CV is kind of like going down, isn't it? There's this great thing, he has this strong faith, and then we're looking at all these other things that we would put so much value on, and he's just not ticking the boxes. He had health issues. 1 Timothy 5. Uh, 23, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach uh, and your frequent 
ailments, frequent ailments. Can you imagine the checklist to, to, to apply for the, the position of uh, intern? And uh, I'm often ill. In the interview, Paul asked, how often are you ill? Well, I'm ill frequently. Well, how are you going to come around traveling with me? How are you going to... It just doesn't make sense, does it? But this is who he was. Now, this verse does not give you the right to drink alcohol. That's not what this big deal of this verse is about. And this verse is not mainly about how you should look after your health. What this verse here is to remind us is that God's servants are just like us. We get ill. God's servants are not superheroes. They're very human. And God uses very human people to build the church. And this church at Ephesus was a very human church. And the leader of the church was a very human leader. He got ill. He needed to take medicine. He needed to look after himself. But Paul encouraged Timothy, despite his problems, to keep going. 2 Timothy 2.12. Sorry, 2 Timothy 1 and 2. He says, then, my child, be strengthened by the grace of that is in Christ Jesus. You see, we haven't got all the answers. We haven't got all the strengths. You will have frailties. You will have weaknesses. You will have problems. But we all have this together. We can be strengthened by the grace that is Christ in us. And I think, I hope you quite like Timothy. And and I think the reason that we often quite like Timothy is that he is like us. In reality, we can relate to his illnesses. We can relate to his challenges. We can relate to his frailties. And his usefulness in the kingdom gives us hope that in our weaknesses, in your weaknesses, in your frailties, you can be used by God to do great things through the grace that is in Christ Jesus. But this letter wasn't just a private letter for Timothy and for his eyes only. It doesn't say strictly confidential to Timothy only. If it did, we wouldn't have it. I don't think. I don't know. It's a question for some theology, theologians somewhere. But here it is. It's, it's not that. It is open. And the benediction at the end concludes with grace be with you. And the you there is a plural you. It's, it's, it's a you that means that this letter was really addressed to more than just one person. It would be safe to say this letter was for the church's Ephesus as well. That's where Timothy was the young pastor at that time. And, and the pressures of the church at Ephesus were very, very real. They, they battled with a society that worshipped many idols. Some of you have been to Ephesus. And at Ephesus there is Diana of the Ephesians. And, and she is an ugly goddess in my mind. In the minds of the people, and she was very beautiful, and she was full of fertility and fertility rituals and all sorts of uh, immorality was there. It was a city of immorality. It was it was a city where they loved money, they liked business, that they sold trinkets, they sold uh, statues of Diana of the Ephesians. If you go to the museum in uh, Lefke, there is one there. There, it's a little thing of her. And that might have been sold there in Ephesus at that time. And, and, and these things were making money. And, and there were people who wanted to make money. And within the church life, there, there was false teaching creeping in. There was this idea that 
of geocism and, and, and sort of a higher truth and the thought that there's nothing is really evil and, and good and there's a whole sort of presumption and you can do whatever you like in, in your own body because that's one thing because it doesn't exist in the spiritual realm and there's a whole mess going on there and that was creeping into the church. And so he lived in this society where it was easy to have youthful lusts because all the opportunity for youthful lusts were around about him. Isn't it just like Cyprus? The, the opportunity for youthful lusts in Cyprus is just here, isn't it? There's nightclubs all over the place. There's drinking houses all over the place. There's, there's, there's people wandering around dressed provocatively. There's just huge opportunity. Your, your, your device is an opportunity for immorality. The advertising that we see around it is pulling us away from God. People here worship money. We are tempted to get pulled into that whole same thing. And so the pressures of the church now are just as real, are just similar to the pressures that the church there in Ephesians had. As, as Phil's talks, uh, looking at the spirit of the age, and as what he's been going into there, and we're going in further on in this week, and I recommend you to listen to the one and listen to them again. It just gives us a sense of where things are at. And although it's different to what it was then, it's the same old saying, there's nothing new under the sun. There's just this pervasive wickedness that is up against the church. And so this letter is not just for Timothy. And it wasn't just for Timothy as a pastor of the church at Ephesus. And it wasn't just for the people at Ephesus. This letter is a letter for church at all times. It is for us here at Left Coastal Protestant Church. And just as Timothy had to take it seriously, the elders have to take it seriously. And just as the church had to take it seriously in Ephesus, we have to take it seriously. When was it written? It was probably one of the, the last letters of Paul to be written along with Titus and 2 Timothy. So it, it doesn't come before uh, 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy came first. Uh, we're not sure whether Titus came between the two, but it is, there were some of the last ones. Uh, it's, it's a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy when he was a pastor at Ephesus. And, and so we can put a date on it around about uh, the year 62. That's approximately when it was probably written. And it's probably written from uh, Macedonia. So we, we've heard about the author, which is God, through Paul. And Paul is writing to Timothy. And Timothy is the pastor of the church, and the letter is for the church as well. And as we look at the church, we realize that that church is just one of many churches, and it's for us right now. And although it's written those 2,000 nearly years ago, it is just as relevant now as it was then, because this is the foundation that the church is to be built on. And so this should be what every church over the centuries looks like. This is what the church over all the centuries should be aspiring to. And that's what we should be looking to. So what is the letter all about? What's the, what's the main point of this letter? Now the main aim of this letter is spelt out in chapter 3. And that's why I had uh, chapter 3 read as well. You may recall the first part of chapter 3 was about overseers. The second part of chapter 3 was about deacons. And then there's this little section called The Mystery of Godliness. You might have thought, well, he chose that because we could sing Great as a God of 
uh, grace of the gospel of God and the mystery of godliness, and, and that was a nice link. Well, no, actually, there was more to it. The reason we had that bit read was because of verses 14 and 15. Paul is saying to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon. He hopes to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that, here it is, he's writing these things so that, if I delay, come on, Paul, tell us what it is about, that you may know how one ought to behave in the house of God, or the household of God. What's the household of God? He tells us, which is the church of the living God. A pillar, a buttress of truth. What is this letter all about? It's how to behave in the household of God. It's how to behave in church. It's a manual for church life. Paul is writing this so that if he doesn't get there in time, they can have it. And he's writing it in the sovereignty of God so that us, 2,000 years later, we have the blueprint, we have the design of what the church should look like. It's as though the mentor to the pastors here is speaking directly to them. And as they hear this, God's word is speaking directly to you. And what it is saying, this is how you should behave in the household of God. You see, it's how you should behave in the household of God as a family member. The household of God, we are a family. This wasn't just for Timothy, this was for the church. It's for all of us, it's for for you here. This is how we, this letter is so that we can know how to behave as members of God. It's to remember that we are an assembly of the living God. We're, We're part of a family for sure, but we're also an assembly of a living God. We are a local church here. And what we have here in this 1 Timothy is a guide for us to show us how to live as a church. And this church should be a pillar of truth. Now we have at least four pillars here. Some of them are hidden into the building. But the, the pillars, what do these pillars do? They stop the weights of the gym falling on us. If there's no pillars here, the thing would sag and we would be with the sauna and the gym, it would be in with us. The the pillars hold everything up. And you see, this is what the church should be doing. The church should be pillars of truth. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, this is what this letter is about. I'm writing to you so you can know how to behave in the household of God. And so this is why we're here. This is why we're looking at this book. And and the aim of this part of the series as we go through this 1 Timothy is to learn about how to do church. It's our guide of how to do church. And if we follow this, we know that we're following God's word. And if we're following God's word, we know that we're going to be on the right foundation. And if we're on the right foundation, we shall be a pillar of truth. You've been to Salamis. I'm sure you've been to Salamis. If you haven't, you'll see pictures of Salamis. And if you haven't seen pictures of Salamis, when you get home, just Google Salamis and put pillars in there. There are pillars in Salamis around one of the quadrants there that have been standing for 2,000 years. Well, they came down in an earthquake and they got put back up, but the illustration is there. The truth is standing. You see, and as the pillars of somewhere like Salamis fall in earthquakes and need to get re-put up, the pillar of truth, which is God's church, still remains standing 2,000 years on. And if God tarries another two months or two years 
or two decades or two centuries or two more millennia, the church will remain because it is a pillar and a buttress of truth and it is of the living God. And throughout the centuries past and throughout the centuries to come, if God doesn't return, this book will guide God's people as I trust it guides us in the weeks ahead to know how to behave in the household of God or how to do church. And so just very quickly, to to wrap this up, I just want to give a a brief outline of how we will be going through uh, the book of Timothy together. The focus is going to be for the church. There's lots here teaching of how uh, someone should be a pastor, how someone should be doing Timothy's job. We're not going to focus on that. We're just going to cherry-pick the parts on the church. And and so as we go through this, we're going to be looking at at chapter 1, and we're going to look at this as the message of the church. If we're going to do church properly, we need to have sound doctrine, uh, which we see in verses 1 to 11. We're going to see the the glorious gospels in verses 12 uh, to 17 and see that we need to press on in that. So we're going to see the the, the message of the church in chapter 1. Then chapters 2 and 3 go on and talk about the members of the church. We're going to look at this in in two sections, chapter 2, then chapter 3. But it comes under that heading that the members of the church will have part one and part two. Uh, And we're looking at praying people. What we should be praying for. Why we should be praying. We're going to look at modest people. We're going to look at the church officers. We're going to look at godly members. We're going to see ourselves in these. We're going to see how we should be acting. And then chapter four looks at the ministers of the church. What they should be like. How you should be praying for them what you should be aspiring to, what you should be wanting. They should be committed to the truth. They should be committed to godliness. They should be committed to the work they're doing. They should be committed to their own personal growth. And this will give us an insight as a church of how to pray for pastors and how to pray for the ministers and how to to encourage them. And then chapters 5 and 6 looks at the ministry of the church. And there's a whole list of different categories of people. We've got the older saints, the widows, the church leaders, the workers, the troublemakers... Yeah, it even addresses the troublemakers, the rich, the educated. And so we're going to see different peoples, different ministries within the churches in chapters uh, 5 and 6. And God willing, that's how we're going to cut it up and go through those uh, a chapter at a time, uh, Sunday uh, by Sunday. And what I want to encourage you to do as we go through these things is... Where there are question marks, where there are things you don't think we've gone into deeply enough, to feed that back. Because those are the things that we're going to look at at a later date in more detail. But what I want you to do is is go away now encouraged, encouraged in this way, that we've got a manual of what church life should be like. An excitement of something that we should be modeling ourselves on. And, And this wonderful thought that we, like Timothy have been brought into a family. And no matter our background or where we're from, we've been brought together in that family. And we can be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. I just want to give you a a moment just to sort of think on uh, what you've heard. Maybe just concentrate your thoughts and prayers on, 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 on whatever's been laid particularly on, on your heart and your spirit and, and commit that to the Lord and ask the Lord to, to take that and teach you and apply it uh, to your heart 
uh, and your situation personally. Amen. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, O Lord God, that through your word we can learn about your church. We thank you that more than this being an academic exercise, we thank you that through the Lord Jesus Christ we can be part of your church. Almighty God, we come before you pleading for any here or any online that do not yet know you as their Lord and Savior and are not part of the church. May you work in their hearts and their lives and draw them into the church to know you as their Lord and Savior. And for all the brothers and sisters here that know you as their Lord and Savior that are part of the church, protect them, bless them, help them to grow in you and the knowledge of you. And oh Lord God, we pray that you would be with us as a church. Help us as a church to be following your word. Not our ideas, not our notions, not our desires, not our traditions. But help us to be following your word. And as we go through this, O oh Lord God, may it be as though you are speaking to us through Paul and Timothy. May we be hearing your voice. May you be leading us and guiding us. And may the result be that the foundation that we are built on is firm and solid because it's built on the truth. And may we be willing to do the things that may be hard for us to do. May we be willing to give up the things that we may not want to give up. May you help us to do what you're calling us to do through your word in the days and the weeks ahead. And may we do it to your glory. And oh Lord God, we thank you for the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is our saviour and is our hope now and forevermore in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our closing hymn is, is the hymn, He Will Hold Me Fast. That's the chorus.